0: casting through a coherent tetrion beam in the delta quadrant this is Polytrix. Welcome everyone to episode 3 of Polatrex here on the Tricorder Transmissions Network. I am your co-host Barry DeFord and I'm so happy to have you here. I'm also very happy to have the often imitated, never replicated Mr. Shashankavaru. How are you doing today Shashank?
1: Namaste homo sapiens. I am well and I don't know if the often imitated, never replicated is always going to be the situation because one of these days, one of us is going to have a transporter malfunction and before we know it, we have an evil twin in the universe.
0: Well, as long as they're um, as good as um, Thomas Riker was at stealing the, the Defiant, I've always wanted to go on a ride. So uh, that would be the only stipulation on my end. As long as my evil twin was crafty, then that would be fine. Also, if they could, um, if they could do laundry, that would also be really cool because that's something I don't like doing.
1: I'm a simple man. If I if I have the beard that he has and look as good, I think we'll be. I'll be good. I have no issues with that.
0: Yeah, the just uh, you sh- guys should all be very happy that this is not a video podcast because uh yeah, I can't uh, I can't say I look hardly as good as Frakes, even uh even even at the tender age of 34. I'm just not not working that out very well, but here we are. <laughs> so today, you know, uh we're 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 looking at a a really interesting episode for you all. Um I did a bit of work just in terms of spies and stuff like that, Uh, Shashank came up with the idea and was like, Hey, let's do this. Let's do this episode on spies. What a great idea. And I thought, you know what? This is good. You know, I don't have very much that I'm doing at home right now. I'll just get a little bit of research started and wouldn't, you know, it, this has turned into uh, probably not the only episode on spies we're going to do.
1: Yeah. This has turned into for what we have so far, a three-parted episode. And it certainly stemmed from each of us going down respective rabbit holes, each of us then getting together and going down rabbit holes. And it just started with our love of of spies and the representation of spies. And um, on a much larger picture, it started mainly because there there is so much activity related to spies and collusion and who belongs where and who's loyal to what in the news that's happening around us that, that made us go deep into... The spy, the idea of spies in Star Trek
0: exactly. And uh, you to be to think that that there being a lot of rabbit holes when you start learning about spies, uh, I don't really think that's necessarily the most surprising thing. So maybe it's funny that I didn't necessarily see this coming, but Star Trek itself is no stranger to espionage, spies, all of those you know intriguing things that take place. Uh, in every single series, we, uh, we're we definitely going to be uh, touching on basically everything so far. And yes, even uh, some new developments or possible new developments that may be happening in the most latest series of Star Trek Discovery. It just seems that you can't get away from spies in Star Trek. Maybe that's because it was a child of the Cold War. And uh, maybe it's just because spies have been a thing long before. Who knows? So this should be an interesting An interesting look and an interesting deep dive into the spies of Star Trek.
1: While you're listening to this episode, you'd also be doing us a huge favor if you could like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. We talk about what we'll be recording for the week. We share inspirational quotes. We share cool discount codes every time Star Trek puts out a discount code for their shopping sites because we all love those Star Trek mugs and hoodies. Just follow us on Facebook at Polytrex, that's p-o-l-i-t-r-e-k-s and you can follow us on twitter as well at the same at PolyTrex. and barry how can people get in touch with us through the tricorder transmissions
0: well as you said we are uh, proud members of the tricorder transmissions podcast network and as of this recording we are now on the other side the upside of 250 episodes whoo the Polytre- or with the uh, tricorder transmissions network I mean, Polatrex, we have now uh, as of this recording, we have managed to contribute three of the 250 <laughs> episodes so we're definitely fledgling compared to some of the other veteran shows that we, uh, we you can find on there such as uh, the tricorder transmissions Shore Leave, which has been nothing but fun listening to that Drawing Trek and Trek Ranks, of course, uh, fantastic shows that you can find all on uh, all on the tricorder transmissions podcast network you can also call in to the show and leave a voicemail by calling 609-512-LLAP that's 609-512-5527 so there's so many ways to get in touch with us either via social media or by leaving a message we're always happy to hear from you You can also find good discussion on the unofficial um, Star Trek Las Vegas page that's on Facebook. Our warm and welcoming uh, hosts and fearless leaders, uh, Jeff and Heather, uh, manage that website or that page, and it's always good to hear from them. You can also support us on Patreon as well. None of this is done for free on our end, and we are more than happy to provide you folks with great Trek discussion. But if you're ever on the Paula Trek's website um, or on just the Tricorder Transmissions website itself up on the top right hand side you will see a little button to support us on Patreon and if you have any spare change it would definitely go to helping out the production of more quality Trek discussion episodes.
1: Yes we do need your kind donations on, on our Patreon pages so we can keep our transporters up and active to get our handsome evil twins
0: yes we need handsome evil twins ultimately so and then they will pay you a visit as well if you do support uh, that is the perk if you pay uh, in latinum that will happen so i assure you of that
1: <laughs> uh, and our show by its name is a political show it's a show about society and star society to, to keep up with the name of our show here's the news Thank you for sticking around. As as part of a show that attempts to bridge politics and star society, we spend a little bit of time talking about current events, is mainly in the realm of politics and society and our world of Star Trek. And we try to get better perspectives by bridging things together from the universe of Star Trek to the real world. But before we get into current events, there has been a mid-season break for a little show called Star Trek Discovery, right, Barry? There most certainly
0: has been. And I'm uh, I'm pretty excited that uh, we, we've we had a chance to get sort of a, a new taste and a new look and a new feel to Star Trek. And, you know, obviously I'm going to save the larger discussion on this. There's actually a really good Shore Leave episode that's just come out that I would recommend everyone going and checking out. I believe it is actually the 250th episode as well, where they talk about just the way people are communicating about this new version this new form of Star Trek and I think that's important mm-hmm. for us to to consider. I'm also pretty happy the way with uh, the way in which it has been given to us. With a lot of streaming service television shows oftentimes you get just the big lump of it right now and so I'm working through the Punisher right now and i'm taking it slowly but the, the 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 willingness to binge is always sort of there in the back of my mind and what i liked about star trek discovery was i could watch that episode and then i would wait a week and i would get a week to talk about it to figure things out to rewatch it maybe rewatch some previous episodes so i mean the more episodes you get obviously the more you're going to binge but you're going to be binging previously watched stuff, and you can pick up those details and stuff. So in terms of the dosage, I've been quite happy with the way this has rolled out. What about you?
1: Yeah, I'm certainly very impressed at the restraint that CBS and Paramount have shown at making it a community experience of dropping one episode a week and letting the world talk about it and then waiting that week. I think right, they're doing this one right with Star Trek because it's one of the most fundamentally well known things about star trek is that it was always a, it was always community television it was something that came on once a week and everybody in the neighborhood everybody at school everybody at your workplace watched it and you talked about it i i'm very impressed at that and i'm just glad that in my lifetime we are back to a, to talking about star trek again regularly that it is a piece a part of the everyday conversation as opposed to us just watching old episodes of TNG or DS9 or the original series.
0: I would also say in that, you know, <clears throat> good or bad, the conversation is great. And I'm, yeah, I'm just so glad, like you, like you've said, just just to be talking about Star Trek again. And it's going to bring a lot more to talk about. My goodness, I can't wait until Star Trek Las Vegas in 2018. We're going to get a chance to talk even more about New Trek. And that's, that for me is just a fantastic thing. You're absolutely right, Shashank.
1: It's the 25th anniversary of... Deep Space Nine, and you and I are going as Holodeck Bashir and O'Brien. I'm just we we are doing that. Okay, well I I,
0: I have a command um, DS Nine uniform. I don't I don't have a, have a operations or medical one, but uh, Christmas is coming. Just gonna say.
1: All right. Well, now everybody listening to us knows what we'll be dressed as and be on the lookout for. Is also be on the lookout for folks from the Tricorder Transmissions Network, not because we are a part of, not just because we're a part of them, but because they're awesome folks from Trek Geeks, because they're wonderful people and delightful and their podcasts are amazing.
0: If you see John Champion and Ken Ray, uh, I still think because I am the cheap Canadian discount of John Champion, you can always ask (laughs) what that discount is worth, because I do think it is on a sliding scale of economic value. And I'm sure he'd love to tell you all
1: about it. As part of the responsibilities we have on this show that we as co-hosts have taken upon, we talk about current events. And unfortunately, most of our news today is bad. As we record this, we are a couple of days out from the terror attack that happened in Egypt that killed 305 people. Victim counts is, are still happening, so we do not have an exacted count. There are fingers being pointed. There are, uh, there are blames being made, but... It it reminds me of the John Harrison slash Khan story from Into Darkness, first and foremost. And then it reminds me of some of the most more nefarious tactics of uh, the Maki and the Cardassians and just organizations in the universe of Star Trek that take it upon themselves to commit heinous acts in the in their definition of the greater good when
0: these groups act these these terrorist groups act i mean it's so easy to respond so quickly with you know a little sad face uh, emoji on facebook and stuff like that but i think one thing we have to keep in mind as well is we all share a planet and you know john john harrison's attack in starfleet was was an attack that took place you know in the middle of starfleet's center, you know, and that, that that's that's very important to understand and, and the reaction to that was very much one of, you know, we're we're a unified front and all this and, and, and such. And it's hard sometimes for us, you know, say in Western countries, I'm I don't have to worry about that sort of stuff. Of course I do live in northern Canada and I commute on the highway to my job every single day. So in that case, yes, there are some pretty slippery and scary days from time to time and a, co- a colleague of mine actually ended up in the ditch for the entire day just recently in a in a pretty bad mm-hmm. snowstorm. We do definitely have things to worry about here, but immediate and sudden destruction like that uh, really does really does it it can make one feel sad and at the same time sometimes I worry it makes us a little bit immune or desensitized. I mean, just a few weeks ago there was an explosion in Somalia. And a few months ago, there was a larger explosion in Kabul, Afghanistan. So, I mean, these, these are we're no stranger to these things. And, and it has been mostly blamed on Islamic extremism to, to that extent worldwide. Of course, they are not the only people who do horrifying and heinous acts. Extremists from every walk of life are capable of it. I mean, we're also a few weeks away now from the attack in Las Vegas as well. But I guess... How we react is always very, very important to me, and I would say if you're able to, I mean to to support uh, Doctors Without Borders, Amnesty International, UNICEF are always really, really good. But even just to take some time to reflect, even deeper than just putting a sad face emoji, and maybe thinking a little deeper into why these things are happening. I mean, nobody wakes up. I think in the middle. Of their life at one point and says, "I'm going to become a terrifying extremist who does horrible things to innocent people." There's a lot that that's that that's in on that. There's a lot there, and to think about it a little more deeply as to what maybe we as a society over here can do for societies over there.
1: Yeah, it has it has been more than a decade since 9 11 happened, and ever since 9 11, for better or for worse, terrorism and the way we respond to it has been part of the conversation we have every day in our lives. We hear of an incident, we hear of an update or a development or something that happens that ends up with someone somewhere dead through no fault of their own. It certainly is tragic, but just like in Into Darkness, where we find out that as horrible and as vile and as awful, a superhuman terrorist as John Harrison is some of the things he points out about Starfleet and the secret organization within Starfleet that we eventually find out is Section 31 is doing turn out to be true. And this might be a good time for us to also reflect on the fact that just like in Into Darkness, there might have been imperfections in the way we responded to terrorism. Certainly, if there was better care and better sensitivity taken to the way we approached the whole situation, we would not have been continuing to fight it in one form or another after a decade. And maybe we would have saved more lives than than we ended up saving in, in the bigger picture.
0: Reflection is always so very important in that. And one thing I'm happy about was there was some Star Trek that was taking place in and around that very awful time. I, I, I turned 18 two weeks before uh, September 11th, and though I'm not an American, I'm a North American, and being Canadian was close enough for me. And I think about the Zindi arc that takes place in the Enterprise and I, uh, on the Enterprise series, and I feel very much that there's a lot there, you know, the, that one attack you know, in Florida that they do. It it definitely brings people together, and we're going to go get them, and all this sort of stuff. But as Archer's crew gets deeper into this this world, uh, the, the the Zindi situation, they start to see sympathetic causes taking place within that. And I'm always brought back to a Beck song called Dark Star, which actually came out in and around that same period of time. I think it was the int- the information was the was the uh, the album. But he says in Dark Star, one of the lyrics, "The enemy's story is a lot like mine." And I often think about the aftermath of uh, this tragedy in Egypt. W- what that, what's that going to make, right? Who's that Who's that going to create? If you get someone who wants to join Starfleet because of what happened to their home, say they lived in Florida and, and they were killed, or they're, they're, they weren't, but their family, say, was killed by the Zindi, how's that going to paint the way they, they act in Starfleet? How is that going to paint the way they react? If you go into the JJ-verse or the uh, the Kelvin timeline, you know thankfully the the vulcans are quite logical but i think there's a lot of space there for how vulcans are going to start treating romulans now that the vulcans are are down to a few thousand rather than a few billion and and just how how these sorts of large acts will beget other large terrible horrible acts and it's unfortunate that we are becoming somewhat more desensitized to it
1: and much like in into darkness where section 31 is doing things that'll eventually cause the the bigger organization of Starfleet inside which it is based to implode and 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 cause irreparable damage. It is important for all of us, I think when we respond to something like this, to recognize that one of the biggest victims of terrorist attacks that are blamed on air er, covert Islamic extremism are followers of Islam. They're regular everyday Muslims that end up dead on the street or in an explosion through events that transpire much like they do in in our side of the world. So maybe the entire situation, especially in the way we respond to it, is not as black and white as as we think. Uh, Speaking of enterprise, uh, there is an unfortunate connection to enterprise that we have to talk about also. George Takei, one of our own, has been accused of sexual allegations uh, he has categorically denied it in a st- in a statement composed of mul- multiple tweets he has uh, said that none of it is true and that all of it is just a he said she said incident from a long time ago and he has thanked all of us for our support uh, and thanked his husband and said that he is doing his best to to move on from being accused of the situation
0: yeah <laughs> I don't know. I don't know where to go with this. I default to listening to the survivor, and my my heart of hearts, of course, would want would want someone like George Takei to be as far away as possible from these sorts of things. But I guess this is this is why it's difficult. This is why we are going through this cathartic period of time. Is sometimes people you respect don't do respectful things, and I'm not accusing. George Decay. by any stretch. I can't. Uh, I don't have the place, and I'm not in that place. But I am going to listen to everyone who has something to say about this, and I think that's the important piece. I'm not going to accuse anything, or I'm not going to point my finger or anything like that at any of the people, because I don't feel like I have the place for that. I'm disappointed with, all, with a lot of people who I once respected. Of course, the work of Harvey Weinstein was was very good. I mean, I liked a lot of uh, a lot of the shows he helped produce. Charlie Rose is a very good interviewer, but those people are disgraced now, and we have to come to terms with that and understand that. So, with regard to George Takei, I just have to sit back. It was easier again, not easier, but it, it was definitely a lot more cut and dry. I think when when we looked at what what happened with uh, with Anthony Rap and and stuff, because. Kevin Spacey was quick to admit, was quick to talk about it. He was not very quick to apologize, but, you know, our heart goes out to Anthony Rapp, and we hope that that this has, this has helped him turn the page.
1: With a situation like Charlie Rose's, it's very interesting now, and sort of fascinating in the way a car accident is fascinating, to see him talk about sexual allegations as and when they were being reported, on cbs there are there are places on the on the internet you can go to and see videos of him explicitly addressing and defending these victims and talking about how these things are horrible and they have to end all the while contributing to something as heinous as this i think the the larger point here is in some way all of us seem to be directly or indirectly a part of this mass atrocity that is happening mostly to women. So I think there's a conversation that we need to have amongst ourselves, amongst our family, amongst our friends. And every time something like this comes up, enough cannot be said about the value that your support gives to to the victim, irrespective of what the situation is.
0: Yeah, and and, and I think one other big thing, and this is probably the hardest part, is you know you saying that, that we all have some level of complicity or even activity in it. We all have to understand that that's a thing. And as a male myself, a white male who, you know, does hold certain positions of power, I have to make sure that I'm standing up as much as possible. And, you know, it's funny because if I say, you know, notice some sort of harassment taking place against another person and whatnot, I should stand up for that, that person who's being harassed. And that might come with its fair share of physical, verbal, maybe even social consequences, But to just allow myself to kind of sit in that tower and feel safe and know that it's not going to affect me is a problem. And that is part of the problem. And, you know, it's not easy. I'm, I'm an educator and I have dealt with issues where individuals I either teach or work with have brought up problems that they have had that, could stem from you know those sorts of uh, those sorts of issues. I'm being coy because I'm a member of a union. Of course, I'm not going to talk about anything too specific. But I try to in, instill in my my students and fellow staff that idea that that we need to stand up for what is right and what is just. And if somebody is feeling upset or unhappy or harassed we need to make sure that we stand with those people. And so that's kind of where I'm going to, that's where I'm going to sort of rest my, my case uh, when we talk specifically about uh, George Decay,
1: Because it was uh, important to both of us that we just not keep everything. So doom and gloom. I wanted to share on, on the air the experience I've had uh, this Thanksgiving oh, thank as goodness. an, <laughs> as an immigrant from India who lives in the United States. I've, uh, It's no secret that immigrants generally, people who've moved from one place to another, have trouble finding friends. But as opposed to one Thanksgiving that I used to attend for my old boss that I've been attending the last couple of years, things have gotten so much better that I now have attended three Thanksgiving dinners this year. And I am pretty sure I've gained 20 pounds, but it was... Totally worth it. Uh, I've I've I got to it in three different kinds of Thanksgivings. One of them was called a Friendsgiving, and it's a tradition where it's a newer tradition where Americans have uh, abandoned the the idea of a regular Thanksgiving around a giant turkey with family, but instead do Friendsgiving where they invite friends and everybody brings their own food and everybody shares a potluck meal and then we sit down and play board games. So that is exactly what I did a week ago for a Friendsgiving. And I attended another Thanksgiving earlier this week uh, as part of one of my friends from Germany who came back to the United States to visit her adopted family and she invited me, and in. that was a tradition, more of a traditional Thanksgiving, but it, it seemed a good blend of a friendsgiving and a Thanksgiving because there were there was food that I could eat. I'm a vegan. There are there was food that was made that I could eat, that people like me who did not eat meat or dairy could eat, and there was also the traditional turkey. And everybody had a big nice meal, and then we sat down and played board games. And just yesterday was my full traditional Thanksgiving dinner with my new boss, who invited me. I ended up having a full traditional Thanksgiving meal with some things that I could eat, but the, the food was the least of it because I got to meet his extended family. I got to meet his brothers, his sisters, their kids, and I got to uh, play ball in their backyard. So I, I had a full spectrum of experiences that I'm immensely thankful for, pun intended.
0: That is that's so great to hear that you're that you're enjoying that and I don't want to take this into another dark Dark path too much, but of course Thanksgiving does have its dark history as well in terms of how the treatment of First Nations Native Americans were. But I think your experience specifically, Shashank, is wonderful in the sense that you are getting to get together and be together with other people and be with new friends and get new experiences and learn new things. That is, that warms my heart. Of course canadian thanksgiving was in october but that's because there's a lot of snow on the ground where i am right now so we have nothing to be thankful for anymore because it is the dead of winter
1: (laughs) and while i go and try to find a, a pair of pants with a bigger waistline please stick around and we'll be back with our main topic today for sticking around, guys. We are now in our main topic segment. This main topic today deals extensively with spies. Our episode today is called Spies in our Star Society. There has been so much conversation about collusion and secret agents and spies and espionage and investigations about espionage, investigations about possible collusion and conversations about loyalty and what it means to be aligned to a certain ideal that this episode just came naturally to both of us and we are just fans of this, this spy genre in entertainment and we enjoy international politics and this this darker but essential side of diplomacy that we thought we should we should do a three-parter on just this whole idea our first part today will mainly talk about these these character spies, these fascinating disguises that some of the characters had to take on or they were compelled to take on or they were forced to get into for the idea of the greater good. Uh, Our second part will mainly deal with espionage organizations, namely Section 31 and organizations of the like, and about some of the things that they do and... How they relate to us in today's world. And our third episode is reserved for one of the most interesting characters in all of Star Trek, Garrick. That that be the three episode structure we follow, but today to talk about our, our specifically deeply fascinating and profoundly interesting spy characters, there, there is no better way to start than to talk about face of the enemy.
0: Thank you very much, Shashank. So yes, Face of the Enemy is uh, in the uh, Star Trek The Next Generation. It was aired on February the 8th, 1993. It was in season six, episode 14. And I believe Dan and Bill on the Trek Geeks gave it a see it, but I'll let them uh, uh, tweet us or let us know if I could be wrong. But uh, I, I know of other other folks who would definitely have given it a see it. I give it a see it for sure. So I'm not going to go into any sort of three-minute, that actually turns out to be ten-minute synopses too big, other than the sense that Deanna Troy is abducted by the Romulans, and she wakes up and is, unfortunately to her, she looks exactly like a Romulan, and she kind of freaks out. She finds out that Nvek, a uh, a member of the the underground movement that's taking place on Romulus, run and set by Ambassador Spock, is is... Moving in this direction, they want to get some high-ranking ambassadors and, and high-ranking officials out of the Romulan Empire. They're trying to defect and help help the cause of unification between the Romulans and the Vulcans. Troy basically told, "There's no way out. You have to help us." And she ends up having to do this, having to act along with Invec that she is actually a member of the Tal Shiar. that that, that amount of secrecy is going to give her clout, and it's going to give credence to her presence on this ship. Of course, the captain uh, of the ship known as the Khazara, which is named after a planet in the Romulan Empire, the captain is not too impressed that this member of the Talshiar is showing up and calling the shots. Uh, the captain's name is uh, Tareth, and she is very interesting in the sense that she gives a very layered response to how the Talshiar are, how the current state of the Romulan Empire looks. T'Hereth is very much a soldier. She is there. She works for her crew. She loves her ship. <clears throat> she is a very good complement to uh, Captain Picard. And so she illuminates some, some interesting thoughts that some of the regular soldiers have on the Tal Shiar. And it shows a bit of cracks that are taking place within that, that sort of resentment that takes place. Invek, unfortunately, doesn't make it through. However, Deanna Troi threw some shifty and quick footwork she is able to not only complete the mission but also get back safely to the enterprise this in this sense she of course is the victim of kidnapping she is the victim of augmentation and that's uh there's there's a lot of violation that is taking place but she is given no other option but to just react and just go through with it so it's a good episode in the sense that she first has to kind of go through stages i think of of Realizing what's happened, saying no, denying it. And then ultimately she takes charge of the situation and does a fine job. In in classic Deanna Troy fashion, she is able to read read the emotions of others and kind of know where she's going and can use that to her advantage to save things. Of course, also Captain Picard and the members of the Enterprise play along when they suddenly see her staring back at them on the view screen. But more than anything, Troy is not a willing participant to begin with, and she has to become a willing participant, and that's a matter of survival for her. Whether she agrees with the situation or not, it's Mm -hmm. just not the thing. So I think the first area that I'd want to talk about here is, are the Romulans doing the right thing by kidnapping someone else against their will, and making them do this so that they can make the Romulan empire a better place and push for unification. I often wonder if necessarily that's a, a logical thing that our Vulcan friends would really agree with or if really what's happening here is the Romulans are trading a headache for an upset stomach in the sense that yep, we unified our society and became a better democratic, you know, society but unfortunately we had to kidnap and coerce a ton of other people to get to get us in into a better state.
1: Yeah, uh, it's just Talking about the episode face of the enemy before we get into the larger implications of the real world, I think one of Diana Troy slash Marina is finest episodes. It's uh, the episode itself is such a good tran- transition from who we understand Diana Troy as one, and the episode came out in '93, and it's a it's a very good reflection slash meditation on the post-Cold War world, the idea that now the Cold War has ended, where do we go from here? And are things really as happy and perfect as we thought they would be? And the answer, unfortunately, is no. Uh, As we know, just by researching about spies in real lives, no matter which country you go to, no matter which organization you look at, for a lot of these spies, things mostly do not end well. They are forced to give up personal lives. They're forced, much like Diana is, to become rakal They're forced to, to take up a, an ideal not out of pleasure or willingness, but out of out of compulsion or out of necessity. They're they're put in situations where they're asked to take this position and do this act, so everyone else can have a can have a peaceful life. Speaking about situations like that, you. You referred me to a very interesting article about the Japanese being kidnapped by North Korea. Is that correct?
0: Yeah. in uh, the New Yorker did a fantastic article, a very long article. So I would suggest making sure you are ready to buckle up and, and read it. It takes a while to go through and it's, it merits a, a second and third read through as well. And I have to say, I don't feel like I'm a master of the article yet. But the long and short of it is is one thing that the North Koreans are prone to do is is kidnapping Japanese people sort of you know near a port of call like a harbor or something like that and taking them back to North Korea and essentially using them as well in some cases they're being used as translators they're being used as sort of guinea pigs to see how they interact with other Korean other North Koreans uh, in some cases as well they're actually used as <clears throat> as film producers entertainingly of course kim jong il the son of kim il sung who has now since also passed away <clears throat> he was a big fan of theater and he would kidnap japanese producers to produce sort of pastiches of say godzilla or something or guyver Uh, And that's pretty fascinating and terrifying at the exact same time. But in the case of this article, there was a a couple who were taken, and they were given jobs eventually just translating articles and living in a a very upscale suburb of the capital of North Korea, Pyongyang, and essentially just eventually kind of getting into the swing of things. They end up having kids. Those kids eventually come to terms with the fact that their parents aren't actually Korean, and... Come to the terms with the fact that they aren't actually willing Koreans either. Their parents just sort of got used to life there, and I think over time that sort of Stockholm syndrome will eventually take place, much like it does in Microcosm in Face of the Enemy, where I think it could have been an entire season arc of Deanna Troy trying to get back to the Federation. Mm-hmm. I think we could have seen something cool, and maybe episodic Trek now could could be a thing where we could revisit that. Um maybe we're seeing that right now as well, in the sense of Ash possibly being Vogue, a spoiler alert or something. But overall, the none of this is taken just sort of out of thin air. And I wonder to a degree if if that situation with deanna Troy was perhaps influenced a little bit by what happened to Japanese people when they were kidnapped by North Koreans. the The article in question, I think it took place in the late 1970s, uh, July 31st, 1978. Kaoru Haisuke and his girlfriend uh, Yukiko uh, Ukudo were just out, just chilling out watching some fireworks, and then they they get kidnapped. They get taken on a boat, then they get brought into a car, they're given heavy sedation. And the craziest part is their their kidnappers do threaten them, of course, with death and everything like that, and you will die if this doesn't work out, and that reminds me of Invec. He's not going to kill her. I mean he would let the Romulan authorities kill Deanna Troy. But you've gotta be pretty pretty believing in your cause to do something like that, to forcibly take someone out of their life and Wedge them, shoehorn them, stuff them into your situation. And that's what the North Koreans did with the heist case. And it's what Invek does. And the worst part about it is those North Koreans who had taken the Japanese people prisoner, they were fully convinced they were doing the right thing. They were fully convinced that this was all going to work out and it will be for your own good and everything like that. And I see that in Invek too, though he's afraid that the mission may not necessarily go through properly he fully places that on Deanna troy like you cooperating will make the w- mission work and you not cooperating will make the mission fail what an impossible place to put a person
1: yeah and much like in face of the enemy where Deanna troy is compelled to do this act of of infiltrating and putting her life at risk just like every normal human being would she reacts with a a spectrum of emotions. And she comes very close to saying, I don't want to do this. She actually just flat out says, this is not something I would be good at. But then she's bought face to face with the beings whose lives are in danger, who are being kept in stasis that she has to help rescue. And that is very similar to what is done in our world today. The highest point of spies in our real-world society is undoubtedly World War II and the the era that followed. Right around then, there were spies all across Europe and the United States, and espionage had almost become uh, a commonplace thing in our society. There were there were stories about spies being outed everywhere. Some posing as royal royal servants, some posing as everyday suburban families. Uh, the family members. And the thing that we can trace back to about a lot of the spies that existed around that time, and even today, is that there is some deep personal tragedy that has happened that has affected them due to a war or due to loss of friend relations that has forced them to to become who they are. And some of the unsung hero spies for countries and organizations that these these. Publicity machines failed to mention is that they did not come into it saying, oh, I want to be James Bond. They came into it because they were put in very personal situations where they were shown the dangers of them not doing the act that that their country or that organization is asking them to do.
0: And I wonder if, if Deanna Troy is going to receive some kind of commendation. I mean, it doesn't get mentioned, right? We go into the next episode after this tapestry, which is an amazing episode in its own right. But uh, no, that's it. Deanna Troy is—she did her part. Moving on. and And that's an interesting way to put it, that how many people have had to live completely different lives? How many people have had to completely deny their own individuality to become a spy— for the good of what we maybe enjoy today as well. And uh, you think about, you know, Remembrance Day or Veterans Day, depending on what side of the border you're on in in North America, you know, do we talk much about spies? We tend to deride them to a degree because their whole point is deception, their whole point is sneak attack and and stuff. And as we find it it fascinating, I don't think we see that as a sporting way of doing war, (laughs) you know?
1: It certainly is... Uh, is interesting to note that even history textbooks did not teach us in our schools and colleges a whole lot about spies it's almost as if that secrecy is essential to the continuation of the of the the spy legacy of the legacy of the secret agents that go and live lies essentially for for the rest of their their lives until they're either found or they're brought back to their country or they they end up tragically dead or executed after being outed. uh, There is no win scenario for the spies, and yet they they continue to help us deliver secrets and information through different places around the world, information that is vital for relations to stay the way they are. Spies certainly increase right around war. You can definitely see that right after uh, Cold War. You can see that after uh, the Cuban Missile Crisis, where uh, the Soviet Union had to send in an inflow of, of spies. You can see that the, the amount of spies in America grows sharply when Reagan took office. These are things that have happened around the world and are continuing to happen today. And it's deeply tragic and also very fascinating that there are people living entire lives just so we can have some semblance of normalcy in this giant world.
0: Well, and, and when you think about the normalcy that you're trying to protect, sometimes maybe you get caught up in the normalcy of the place you are trying to uh, spy on. In the case of Deanna mm-hmm. Troy, she, she takes on her role as the member of the Tal Shiar as, as she begins to realize how much she has to buy into the situation, not only for her survival, but definitely for the mission itself. And those things are, are inexorably linked in that case. And, and how much of that is her getting into the role and how much of that is her just being completely petrified, right? There's a there's a point where I think she gets pretty set and mm-hmm. and she starts really acting like a member of the Tal Shiar and she really takes that role. And I wonder, you know, how much how much a real spy loses themselves in that in that moment, right? If you spend a certain amount of time being somebody else, well then eventually how much of that somebody else becomes you? I mean, Deanna Troy spent a couple of hours. Like, if you think about the the full breadth of what that episode had, I mean, it was 40 minutes for us to watch it, but it only mm-hmm. seemed like a couple of hours. Like, it wasn't even a full day, I don't think, that she was in that situation, and she, in microcosm, goes through all the emotions that you say, and, and it would be hard to say that the real Deanna Troy, if that you know if she really did exist, how easily she would have been able to come back from that, of course, being a counselor, being an empath, she I think has the tools to seek the help she would need to come back from that, but imagine being imagine if she had to be there for a season, imagine if she had to you know eat with more than one commanding officer i mean that 's definitely where. That commanding officer, Terez, was trying to to find ins. Right, she was asking her, you know, where did she study philosophy, like the military philosophy? Where, you know, she asked her to try the the whatever food, and you never really find out if the, that food was what she actually ate or not. She just sort yep. of sort of criticizes it and moves on, and just living that mm-hmm. life of deception over such a long period of time. What that's going to do to the human psyche?
1: I think the bigger uh, the bigger concern also just to build up on what you're saying, Barry, is that what happens to a person after they're essentially asked to come back to their normal lives after living a life like this, where they're made to see the very bones that society is built on and the quote-unquote normalcy that exists... After they experience all that and then they come back and are asked to live lives like we do, do is there ever a chance that they come back to their family, their loving home and they can they can feel the same? I think there is a there is a certain trauma that even Diana goes through that she carries upon herself that she doesn't show because she's supposed to be part of this ship that is supposed to be one of the most efficient ships. And if she's not doing her job, she doesn't, things fall apart. And I think she's going from one lie to another closer truth where she has to deal with the fact that I have done this thing Uh, that I was never, ever expected to do. And it brought me so close to death and it brought me so close to losing myself and who I was. And now I have to come back and talk to people out of their everyday problems, like an empath, like a psychologist. And there is something so fascinating about taking a character who's supposed to be the the mental torchbearer of that ship, someone who's supposed to have their composure retained because her job demands it. And putting them in this horrible situation where they're asked to abandon everything they know to commit an act and play along with the lie.
0: Well, and she—I mean, Deanna Troy, of course, is the victim of many different types of violations throughout throughout the TNG arc, even into the movies. So you're absolutely right; she has to deal with a lot. And I, I do think that. When it comes to people who bear the burden of that, Deanna Troy, or of, you know, so the flight the of the crew, Deanna Troy, I wonder sometimes if she outpaces Picard even to, to that degree. You, you'd mentioned, though, coming back and, um, just to talk a bit more about the New Yorker article that uh, we will actually post as well for everyone to read and, and comment on. Yeah,
1: of course, absolutely.
0: My insights aren't aren't as important as everybody's in, insights, and we'd love to hear your input on on the matter. This is a very fascinating a very fascinating topic, but uh, some of the Japanese. Uh, people who had been kidnapped and had spent 30, 40, 50 years in North Korea, they unfortunately were kind of reluctant to come home. One of them talked a bit about how they, they had learned how to ferment kimchi, which is a, a Korean cabbage, a fermented cabbage dish, which, if you've never tried kimchi, just on a completely side note, it is easily... <laughs> I don't think you would ever open my fridge and not find kimchi, because it is so delicious, yep. and it's it's a great digestive aid as well. <laughs> I'm, th- I, I'm getting older, I guess, or something, whatever. But uh, this individual, this this Japanese individual was was reluctant to go back. And it is that sort of idea that what part of them begins and ends in Japan and or Korea? And how easy is it now to just come back and just be in your old society again? It's a, it, there's tra- there's got to be a transition phase. It's not a, it's not a willing move. And as much as you may miss home or want to go home, when does home stop being home as well? And and so, you know, I don't think Deanna was gone long enough for that to happen, but right. who knows? And I and maybe just to to go back to discovery. If if Vok turns out to be Ash, well, that's going to be a major transition for him because I think he has set some roots down in in the Federation, and that's not going to be easy to walk away from. Even if you are a a devoted a devoted follower of Kalos, I think he's made some pretty deep some pretty deep connections with some individuals, and. That's not to say that every North Korean that those Japanese people encountered were mean-spirited spymasters trying to control your life. Some of them were just individuals who they lived nearby.
1: It's certainly important that all of us remember also that, first and foremost, these are human beings that are not born into an occupation. It's not like a military family telling their kid, hey, we were all once part of the army, you should go into the army. These are people who probably do not have family. And the organizations around the world also, if you just study the way they, the factors that they take into recruiting a spy or a secret agent, the most important thing you'll see there, at least to me is that they try to find people with no parents or people with a single parent or people who have abandoned their families and have gone into a life of voluntary crime, but somehow have exceptional skills that the government could use, they seek out these people. So there is that emotional disconnect. And uh, I, I do think there was, in face of the enemy, some of that was addressed when we go into a little bit of the backstory of how Deanna Troy ended up there and, and what they're trying to make her do. But in our real world, it's very important to, to also understand that these are things that might Happened to someone that you and I might have talked to at some point in our lives, and then they're just taken away and are asked to live this lie. And it's it certainly has, no matter how long it takes, or no matter which situation you're put in, and no matter how it ends, I don't think this is a situation that will not fundamentally change you. If you're asked to go be someone else and live every second, with the fear of being caught or uh, the fear of being outed or the fear of being killed. I don't think that is something that you can come out of and try to live a normal life.
0: Well, no, even look at the tension at the dinner table, right? When, when mm-hmm. you can tell you know she's Deanna's just just going with anything just just it's it's a it's an exercise in like high stakes improv I guess is the best way to think of it like yeah. that's really what being a spy is and in those in those moments you're just like well I hope this works they might be on to me now but uh, here we are and to live under that kind of tension you're absolutely right the the human body cannot sustain that forever mm-hmm. you're really pulling some overtime hours if you're going to go be an embedded spy and for that to, for that to be workable and operational in a sustained sense, is, is is it's laughable to think that any human being could psychologically make their way through that.
1: Yeah. And, and speaking of cosmic alterations and, and the human body, especially from the part of the world that I come from, India and Pakistan, there are some differences within uh, males that are expected to have uh, in Pakistan, as opposed to India, so some of the spies, stories that you read about spies from our history, you'll see that they had to go through some alterations in their own body. They had to they had to essentially change the way they they look from from head to toe just to go and be a believable Pakistani, or just for an for a Pakistani to be a believable Indian. And this is just between two countries by an ocean and when when you consider the fact that the entire land uh, the entire continent of Europe was essentially a giant spy network where there were people going from one place to another and like you said barry winging it every day just the hu- just the mind boggles at the amount of uh, lies and secrets and uh, uh, truths and twists and turns that had gone through people's lives for all those years from when the world war uh from the great war up until the end of cold war
0: absolutely the uh one of my one of my more interesting little bits of research and you can get a bit of uh, this author's book on uh on just sort of like looking at uh, the, the google books uh section actual uh the actual name is just I believe it's just called "Great Spies." Patrick Pesnot was the author. He did, he did a fantastic job of talking about one fellow uh, who went by the name of his last name was Yershenko. And if I if I remember correctly, he'd done a few cosmetic surgeries on himself, like permanent cosmetic surgeries. Now, in Star Trek, of course, when Kirk wants to get onto the Romulan ship, he just tells McCoy to make me look like a Romulan and off mm-hmm. I go, and when he comes back, they they sort of banter and joke like, ha ha ha, do you still want to look like Spock tomorrow, or do you want me to fix your face? Well, in the case of Yushchenko, <laughs> <case> <laughs> that's it. Uh, Vitaly was his name, Vitaly Yushchenko, and up until around like 1980s, mid-80s, he's they think they've killed him, and then they find out that nope, no, it's just a different person with an altered face. And then they think they've caught him, nope, no, nope, someone else. Or then they think that he's dead, and no, he's actually been spying on them for a while. He was, uh, <laughs> he was, he was quite the guy who was just willing to change his face whenever he wanted to to make his spying correct. So my my idea of is, you know, could you really ever really know? real Vitaly Yershenko Would he actually have really been a person? That's fascinating to me, because that's some pretty serious investment into your cause. The other, I think for me, the most prescient person who was able to make themselves look different, especially during the Cold War, it just off the top of my head would be Che Guevara. Che Guevara, of course, one of the one of the architects of the Cuban Revolution fought along the side uh, side of the Castro brothers, and was the main driving force in taking uh, the final battle for Cuba at Santa Clara and Che Guevara spends his time in Cuba, but then decides to go to other African nations, or to, to African nations, sorry, like Tanzania, goes into the Congo, and eventually goes to Bolivia, where he meets his end. But at that point, the CIA are looking for him at every turn. And so he makes himself look like an old man. And well, he shaves a bald spot into his head and uses just a bit of a bit of clay to make his face look, look different, wears glasses. I believe he even walked with a cane and, and whatnot. And just the amount of commitment it took for him to do that. Now, of course, he was using clay and scissors and like a razor, whereas Vitali Yershenko was literally going through plastic surgery to look different. But I guess maybe if that's the case, you must really have to believe in your cause to to, to do it. So, of course, in the Enterprise incident, Kirk knew what he had to do and believed in, in, in Starfleet. He believed in the whole situation. So, of course, over he went, Yershenko as well. Guevara, obviously. With-
1: but uh, a, a significant difference, uh, I'm glad you bought up the Enterprise incident, the, a significant difference between that and Face of the Enemy is that along with Yushchenko in the real world and Kirk in the Enterprise incident, these are characters that willingly did this space cowboy, cool James Bond act to, to essentially go and do what they did. Uh, but in Face of the Enemy, Deanna Troy literally wakes up and finds out, oh my God, what what am I looking at? What has happened to my body? And there is there is a lot to be said about organizations like the Talshiar and Section Thirty One, which we'll talk about in our next episode, that will lead to something like this, but is uh, very crucial to the point of connecting it to the real world of these characters doing it in these shows is for us a way to understand and maybe empathize a little with with the circumstances that the real world Sheikh Vavaras and Yushankos had to take up, right?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And part of me wonders to a degree that if she had have been beseeched by Nvek or by maybe even Ambassador Spock, would – and maybe this is this can be our question for for our listeners. Do you guys think that maybe Deanna Troy would have gone ahead with the whole situation had she have just been kindly asked?
1: Yeah that that's a, that's a very interesting question. There are uh, valuable arguments to be made for and against the case. So if, you, if you'd like to give us your input, we would very much like to hear it. Please tweet at us, leave us comments on our Facebook page, let the Tricorder transmissions know, we would love to hear it. And uh, just one, one more very interesting episode that speaks more to the larger picture of the idea of this tragic spy that is being forced into a situation that he or she does not like is inquisition from deep space nine it 's the episode that introduces section thirty one but the entire episode is essentially a mind grenade into dr bashir 's life he's taken he's supposed to be on a medical conference but he's he 's taken from his, his sleep into a situation where everybody around him is trying to convince him that he's a spy for the Dominion. It's uh the, the entire episode is a good metaphor for the way this the spy life is is begun for people. It's it starts with propaganda, it starts with people convincing these impressionable young minds that there is something dearly wrong. And either you are responsible for it and you have to fix it, or you can help us turn the tide by doing an act that is illegal. You have to go live a lie and you have to give up everything you could ever have so we can have this, this particular piece of the puzzle that we need to stay strong. Uh, in, in in Inquisition, much like with Diana Troy, Dr. Bashir is, is put in a situation that he has not agreed to. And there are there are people that are cosmetically altered. There are people that are surgically altered. There are he's he's essentially put in a large holodeck where he's made to confront these these friends that he has grown to love in Deep Space Nine, trying to convince him that he is actually a spy for the Dominion. And toward at the end you find out that all of it has has been essentially. A way to recruit him into Section Thirty-One, the secret organization in Deep Space Nine that is trying to fight in the Dominion War for Starfleet.
0: So maybe that is a good way to booknote our uh, our conversation on on spies in general, and and begin our deep dive next episode on Section Thirty-One, the Tal Shiar, the Obsidian Order, and and the like. That that exist within Star Trek and start comparing them to, say, the CIA, the ICI, um, even maybe some East East German, the Stasi or the KGB, and looking at the the methods and protocols and values that these groups, or maybe even the shedding of common human values or common decency, that they are willing to go through to achieve their aims. So, of course, we're only getting into the third episode of our podcast, and maybe not everyone is used to the routine that we're going to be having, but normally this is the part where we would have final thoughts. Just given the fact that this is a three-parter, we're going to save our final thoughts to the very, very end of all three parts in terms of what we think about Star Trek and Spies. So, from there, we're going to be saying good night and good luck to all of the folks out there who are maybe spies themselves in some way, shape or form and uh, watch your back for anyone else who might be spied on. But with regard to that, that is going to be the conclusion of the episode for this Politrex.
1: Thanks for listening to our episode, guys. Please come back for our next part. It It was a pleasure having you listen to us and we would very much appreciate your comments and your input and your feedback we would like to thank everyone who has given us their feedback so far it has been very helpful very informative and we we enjoy just knowing that we're a part of your everyday lives and your everyday year waves and we very much appreciate you listening to us
0: does conclude our episode for this part of our spies arc but we do have plenty more wonderful shows that you can listen to on the tricorder transmissions network so do check out the website on that and if you're looking for any other fantastic star trek conversation you can always join our friends dan and bill the trek geeks are always a pleasure to listen to as well
1: and please follow us on twitter at at polytreks p-o-l-i-t-r-e-k-s and that's the same name of our facebook page please follow us there too listen to our uh, podcast share them with your friends comment on our posts we love listening from everyone around there and uh, just just be happy
0: we always hope you be happy and that you live long and prosper
1: and onward to star sighting